0: morning. Today's reading is from 2 Timothy 1, 11 to 14. It's on the page 842. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Jesus Christ. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Amen. Last week, we began a new series entitled The Rock, and it focuses in on some promises that we find in the Scripture that we can truly build our life on. And um, I, was, I was reminded just how um, significant that is, actually in the conversation uh, in the foyer just a few minutes ago with Clyde. Clyde was was telling me about how he and Michaela and um, little Josh had, had gone to the mountains, and, and it was his first time in the mountains, right? Pretty, pretty cool. He's from Jamaica, so there's not a lot of mountains in Jamaica. And, and seeing just the majesty, the beauty, the strength, the greatness of those mountains, that's the kind of rock that we're to build our faith on. That rock is who God is. And, and the mountains are incredibly small in comparison to the greatness of our God. He wants to give you a foundation that cannot be moved, that cannot be shaken. He wants you and I to be just like the words we heard read here from the Apostle Paul in Timothy where he says, I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him against that day, against that day of judgment, against that day of fear, against um, that day of... When the Lord returns, he knows he's able to put all of his trust in God. That's my prayer for us today, is that we'll learn more and more how to place all of our trust in him. Well, last week, I gave you a verse that I wanted to encourage you to put into your phones and be reminded of. And and so I'm going to put that back up on the screen, and we're going to say that verse again the promise from last week about dealing with fear. And then I'm going to give you a new verse this week. So can we put up Deuteronomy 31.6 on the screen? And would you stand with me? And let's let's just say this out loud together. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Now, we need to let that not just be words that we say, but a truth that resounds in our hearts. We are to take courage no matter what we face, because God is with us. Now, this week's promise is, is a little bit different. It's about trust. And so I'm going to encourage you to, uh, to say with me Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. And and I'm also going to ask you to look it up and put it in your phones as well. So let's do Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Isn't that a promise that you want? Don't you want God to give direction to your life, to make the path that you walk straight so that you know where you're going and you know that you're walking in His will and in His purpose. Thank you very much. Go ahead and have a seat. But I want to encourage you to take that verse, go ahead and get out your phone, look it up in your heart language, and use, use your Bible app and try, find Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. And um, what I do is I just put it in my calendar so it reminds me, it pops up there every day. I pick a time. Mine happens to be 7.45 in the morning. And, um, and I want to be reminded of that every single day so that I think about it throughout the day and that I pray that I learn to live it, to trust in the Lord with all of my heart, with all that I am. And that's what I'm praying will happen for you this week as well. You'll grow in that trust. Because here's the challenge. Perhaps for you, um, and certainly it's been this way for me in the past, God's will, what God seems to want, feels a little bit like a maze. Uh, one of my favorite things about uh, our trip that we, we took a few years ago to Ireland was to go to the Peace Maze, and it's this beautiful maze where, you know, you're, you're surrounded by these, these shrubs that are way over your head, and, you know, you're working your way through, through a maze, and you can't see where you're going. Sometimes following God feels like you're inside of a maze, And you don't know where the next turn is going to take you. Will it lead you forward? Will it send you back? Will it be a dead end? It feels like a maze, but it's not. Because the thing is, God has the viewpoint. What was amazing when we went to the peace maze is they had certain places there where you could go up on top, you could be on a platform, and you could see the maze and see everyone walking through it. And that changed the perspective completely. Because then you could see what your path needed to be. That's the viewpoint that God has for you and I. He sees where he is taking you and how your life interconnects with my life and other lives so that he can lead us to accomplish his purpose and his will. But in the midst of that, we have a tendency, all of us, to wrestle with doubt I'd ask you to raise your hands, but I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I'm going to go ahead and raise my hand. And so you can do it internally, and I won't point you out. But if you wrestle with doubts, doubts about God, doubts about spiritual things, then I want you inside just to raise your hand. Because I know I do. We all do. And the fact, the reason I know I'm in incredibly good company is because Jesus gives the illustration of John the Baptist. There comes a point in time when John the Baptist is in prison and he sends his messengers to Jesus and he says to ask them, Jesus, are you the one that we are to follow or do we seek another? When he had ended up in prison, when his circumstances had gotten incredibly dark, John the Baptist wrestled with some doubts. Now Jesus brought assurance to him and told his disciples, Uh, the followers of John to go back and tell them the things that they had seen, the things that Jesus was doing, and he knew that that would be the assurance that John needed. But Jesus said of John that of every person born of a woman, John was the greatest. He was the most pure, the most faithful of anyone else who'd ever lived, and yet he wrestled with doubts. So if John wrestled with doubts, chances are you and I are going to wrestle with doubts as well. So I want you to think about the doubts maybe that you've had, maybe not right now, but maybe in the past. There are some different kinds of doubts that we we tend to wrestle with. And I think they all fit into three basic categories, three questions, and three aspects of of doubting. And, And the first one revolves around the question, is God real? We can't see Him with our eyes. We can see the evidence of who He is and what He has done. Um, We can see the beauty of what He has made in creation, the greatness and the power that sustains life. We can see all kinds of evidence, but it's not like we can walk up to His door and say, can I sit down and talk with you in the way that we would with another person? He's invited us into His presence. He gives us prayer, but we wrestle with that question, and we all wrestle with intellectual doubts. Intellectual doubts is where we wrestle with the claims of the Bible and of Jesus, the word of God. Is it it really God's word or is this the writings of men? And we need to wrestle with that. And sometimes we need to to go through and we need to explore um, the evidence of the scripture because it is incredibly significant. We can see the evidence of archaeology. We can see how the text itself, if we do research, is, um, is preserved in beautiful ways. How its accuracy compared to any other ancient document is, is unparalleled. But we can still wrestle with doubts, intellectual doubts. Does God exist or is everything just a matter of chance? Second question or area is a question that maybe we wrestle with even more. Is God in control? Spiritual doubts. It's a big one. Many people may be settled in the fact that God is real, but even people with a strong faith can sometimes become confused by the circumstances around them and begin to wonder, is God really in control because things look really bad? People disappoint us. We can be in the midst of incredible difficulty and trial, or war, uh, conflict, or disease, and we can begin to wonder: Is he powerful? And is he in control? Is he sovereign, or did he create us and then leave us on our own? We can wrestle with those spiritual doubts, and they they also can involve more personal questions like: Am I really saved? You know, I'm not where I want to be. And, and, and God, have you really changed me? Those are important questions. In fact, the scripture tells us to make our salvation or our calling sure to know that we've been saved. The third category of doubts is, revolves around the question that hits us most powerfully, and it simply is this. Does God care about me? You see, more important when we really get down to it more significant in our own hearts and minds than is God real and is God in control is does God care about me? I think deep inside, we already know the answers to those first two, but the last one can elude us. And those are often brought on by circumstantial doubts. They are the most common because they flow from the whys that we encounter in life. When you go through a trial, When you lose a child, when you go through a broken relationship, when things are difficult at work, we ask those why questions, and we begin to wonder, God, do you care about me? Are you for me? These questions have a tendency to build on one another, and they are important because they will affect our view of God they also will affect how we live our life. Because you see, God doesn't say don't ever doubt, but he does tell us what he wants us to do with our doubts. He wants to use your doubts and my doubts to actually strengthen and build your faith. If you think of um, faith like a muscle, the only way that your muscles ever get stronger is if they're exercised. And the same is true with faith. Unless we go through seasons of trial and of difficulty where we wrestle with doubts, our faith itself will not grow stronger. It will stay the same, or more likely, it will begin to weaken. And so it should not surprise us. This is why in the book of James, it says, do not be surprised by the fiery trial that you're going through, because it has a purpose in your life to make your faith stronger, To make your belief and your trust in God Himself more pure and more beautiful. Shakespeare wisely said once of doubts. He said this doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we often would win by fearing to attempt. You see, doubts and fear are closely connected. Last week we looked at fear, doubt plays into fear, they work together. All of us struggle with our doubts because we can't see all that God sees. We doubt because we are not God. It's as simple as that. But I love this, this quote from Frederick Bucher. He says this Without destroying me in the process, how could God reveal himself in a way that would leave no room for doubt? If there is no room for doubt, there would be no room for me isn't that beautiful and it's true God calls us to live a life by faith and as we live by faith we grow closer and closer to him but it requires us to wrestle with doubts if God made absolutely here's what he means by that if God was to come right down in our presence the fact of the matter is we would be destroyed because God is holy And so, God allows us to walk and live a life of faith where He has provided a way for us to come into His presence through Jesus Christ. He made room for us, and He calls us to do and give the one thing that we can give to Him, and that is our trust. There's nothing else that I have that God didn't already give me except for my belief, my trust. So, we all wrestle with doubts. In fact, Here's how Jesus puts it in John 6, verses 28, 29. Then they said to him, This is to Jesus, what must me do excuse me, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. In other words, the actual work that you and I do as followers of Jesus, the work that we do is belief. Now, the way that works out is we only truly believe what we obey. And so when we obey the Lord, then we're exercising the belief that we have that, of, that what he um, has told us is true, who he says he is, is accurate, and we are choosing to live based upon what he has told us to do. That is the work of a believer. And so it shouldn't surprise us that we're going to wrestle with times of doubt, of insecurity, of of uncertainty, but what we do with those doubts is most important because, you see, doubts reveal a spiritual weakness in our lives. It shows us that we are not on God's path but caught in the maze of self and uncertainty when we wrestle with times of doubt. Oftentimes, our doubt results because what we expect or want for ourselves And what God does or doesn't do seems so different. But the reason that there's a difference is not on God's part. It's because I need to be transformed and to be changed. Because doubt causes our view of God to be blocked. Imagine imagine, um, for a moment that you're Joseph. We we talked about this last week if you're here. Joseph, who um, was the favored son of of Jacob, um, God gave him a dream Uh, that he would be a ruler, that his brothers and sisters, his uh, mom and dad would bow down before him and that in some way he would have a, a dramatic impact on their life. And right after that dream and after telling that dream, what happens? But his brothers are jealous, and so they capture him. They sell him into slavery. First, they threw him in a pit for a while. They were thinking about killing him. Then they changed their mind and said, no, let's make some money out of this. And they sell him, into, and and he goes and spends years in prison. And so the dream, what God had revealed to him, man, it takes a dramatic turn in Joseph's life. He had to be asking questions. He had to be wrestling with doubts. But as time passes by, what we see is that his faith was real. It was true. It was evidenced in the character of his life. Doubt and delay in the dream or a prayer can be an instrument that God uses to transform us from trusting God's blessings to trusting God himself. And that's really what we want. That's what happened, I believe, with Joseph. Instead of being kind of this, you know, in your face, showing, speaking out to his brothers, bragging, he became humbled so that God could work in his heart and prepare him and use him to not only save his brothers and his family, but all of Egypt. That's what God wants to do in our heart and in our life. God's plan for us is good. So how do we do that? How do we deal with the maze of doubt? Well, Proverbs, our our memory verse, says it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. There's a positive and there's a negative. When we lean on our own understanding, on our own wisdom, on our own resource, we get in trouble. And we see this all through the scriptures. Abraham leaned on his own understanding when he um, went, to, went to Egypt and he tried to present Sarah as his sister instead of as his wife. He was afraid that, um, that he would be taken and beaten and that Sarah would be taken uh, away from him and so he lied instead of trusting in the Lord. Even though he was a great man of faith, he wrestled with doubt just like you and I do. When we lean on our own plans to try to reach God's promise it leaves us in more doubt and more despair because it's built on the wrong foundation. It's built upon us trying to do what only God can do. And so when we think about this, if we, if we go back to that picture of, of a maze, there are some, some false trails, some myths that we can believe that can, um, when we follow them, can lead us into greater doubt. And so I want, let me show you those myths, those false trails first, and then we're gonna see how to build our life on God's promises. The first myth is the dead end. And the dead end is the belief that God's will is hard to find. If you're here sitting wondering, God, I really don't know what you want me, want to do with my life. If that's where you are, you're likely in a maze of doubt to a certain degree. Because God does show us his will. He doesn't necessarily show us every detail that we want to know. He may not show you um, ahead of time who who you're supposed to have a relationship with, where you're supposed to work, what city you're supposed to live in. Um, He may not give you those kind of details that you're longing to understand, but he tells us his will very, very clearly. He promises, first of all, that his word is a lamp into our feet and a light to our path. That when we place ourselves in his word and we place his word inside of us, he will show us how to go. That's why it's so important that we we be in God's word on a continual basis. Secondly, he says in Romans 12, verse 2, he spells out exactly what his will is. He says, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing, by the changing of your mind, that by testing the exercise of faith, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. His will is that we not be like the world around us, but that we be transformed by his word and we listen to his voice so that we may follow him. That's his will. It's not more complicated than that. It may not be all that you hope for because we want to have all those other boxes checked. But when we do that one thing, the other pieces come into place one by one. The second false trail is the one I call the circle path. And it's somewhat similar. Sometimes we have this belief that God should show us everything or at least many things about the future. God does not tell us a lot about the future. If he did, where would our faith be? God does not reveal what's coming next week or next month or next year most of the time. In fact, we don't even know um, what tomorrow may hold or if we'll even be here tomorrow. But God urges us to live by faith in him, in who he is. Now, I'm not saying that we should not be concerned about the future. Um, we should be. But we should focus in on the one who is already in the future, the one who holds all time in his hands, God himself, and not be overly concerned about the circumstances around us. Overly concerned about the political situations or the difficulties or the trials, we need to place our trust in God, who holds. The future. Here's how 2 Corinthians puts it. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, means while we are alive in this flesh, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body. And at home with the Lord, but whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. The great thing is, even though we don't know what tomorrow holds, when you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, your future is absolutely secure. Even if we are to die tomorrow, we know we will be in his presence And so what we should really focus in on is not the fears that may come with the uncertainty, but seeking, Lord, how do I please you? We make it our aim to please him in everything that we do. God wants you to be more interested in the person of your faith than in the prediction of your future. He wants you to know him because he is our future. The third wrong turn or far, false, excuse me, false trail is, is the wrong turn. God's greatest, this is the belief where it says, God's greatest goal for my life should be at least for me to be happy. I wanna be happy. I mean, everybody does. But that's a false trail. God's desire for your life is not to make you happy. If you think of it as like a, a parent and a child, uh, if your parenting method is to make your children happy all the time, it is not going to go well for you or for them. Because they are going to continually place more and more demands on you, and they're going to place demands that are not good for them. In fact, they're, they're harmful for them when it's all about them. God's will for your life and for my life is not to make us happy, it's to make us holy, to make us like Jesus. And when you hear that word, holy, it means set apart, but it also carries with it something that sounds in English very similar, wholeness. He wants to make you whole. He wants to make you into the person he created you to be. And here's the beauty. The more we become like Jesus, the more we become holy, the happier we are because he is our joy and it is a true true joy that transcends any circumstance. And so even though I said it's a myth, God really does want to make you happy, but real happiness, real joy that is found not in the desires that you um, have at the top of your mind of how you you would like this new gift or, or present or this circumstance to happen in your life or this opportunity to open up It is not based upon those things, but something far greater. God wants us to have a solid faith. So let's look for just a couple of minutes at at this passage in Proverbs 3 and and see how it shows us how to build our life on a rock-solid faith in God. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him always, and he will make your paths straight. Verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Isn't that a beautiful passage? The promises that God gives us there, that when we trust in him, he's going to change us. He's gonna direct us. He's gonna give us that sense of wholeness, the healing in our flesh, the wholeness in our bones. He says, This is what I have for you. But in order to do that, you've gotta put all your trust in me. Let me illustrate it to you you this way. Um, I don't know if this will make sense or not, but to to a degree, faith is like a parachute, okay? Uh, You know, if you're you're up in a plane, let's assume I'm I'm here on, on a plane. And uh, I'm standing in the doorway, and I say, "I trust in the Lord." And so I'm going to put on my parachute, right? And so I put on my parachute, and everything is good, Lord. I have placed my trust in you. But I don't ever step out of the plane. What good does it do me? Okay, my parachute is just a backpack. If I never step out of the plane, that's all it is. It's it may be fashionable but it's just a backpack. There's nothing else in it. That's what religion is. If I'm not trusting in, the, in God, if I'm not willing to say, yes, Lord, I will do what you've told me to do, and I step out of the plane and trust that the parachute, in this case, will carry me safely to the ground, then my faith is nothing. It is just ritual or a fashionable backpack in the case this is actually the cheapest backpack I could find. And yes, in case you were wondering, no, it is not a parachute. So don't try to jump out of a plane. I didn't happen to have one. Well, maybe. All right. This, this is for Henry just because, you know, because he's sitting there. So if you don't jump out of the plane, your faith is just a backpack. So there you go, Henry. Yeah. All right. I'm sure you can use that at work somehow. I have no idea how. All right. Our faith requires us to be obedient, to take a step, to follow the Lord. Otherwise, it's not faith. So how do we do that? How do we learn to really trust him? Well, the first one is that we trust wholly and completely in the person of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We're not trusting in a plan. We're not trusting in a religion. We're trusting in the character of God himself. There must be a full commitment of ourselves, spirit, soul, mind, and body to the Lord. And we must trust him, not only for the salvation of our souls, but for the direction of our life day by day. It must be a complete commitment. We must trust him entirely And we must learn to trust him exclusively. Trust in the Lord wholeheartedly means that one should not rely or lean on our own understanding, our own wisdom, on human insights. They're not enough. We need to trust in the person of God as he's revealed himself in his word and as he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. When it says, with all your heart, Um, in Hebrew, the heart in this way reveals, uh, refers to a combination of things. It reveals, uh, excuse me, I can't talk today. It refers to our emotions, but more often it refers to our understanding and our discernment or our will. It means I need to trust in the Lord, not just emotionally, but with my will choosing to place all that I am Safely into his hands, choosing to put on his, the parachute and say, yes, Lord, and step out of the plane. I believe you are who you say you are. We trust in him, and God has proven that he can be trusted. He has shown us not just his power, but his immeasurable love. That's why Romans 5 says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our trust is built on God, on who he is, and the love that he has revealed through his son, Jesus. Secondly, in order to deal with our doubts and to follow the Lord, we must rest completely in the power of God. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. We need to believe that he will guide us and direct us. We need to believe that when we truly trust him, he will show us all he wants us to do, that he is in control. We trust God extensively. In all our ways, we acknowledge him. And and when it says this this word in English, acknowledge, the word know is in the middle of it. But in the scriptures, the word know is not just knowing the facts. It is experiential. In in fact, in this same word, it would be used in Genesis to talk about how Adam knew Eve when they came together intimately um, and, and then conceived of a child. It is that kind of experiential knowledge. We are to trust the Lord with all that we are experientially, not just Have facts about him in our minds, but to give all that we are to him. To acknowledge God means that we submit to his control and obey his word. We only truly acknowledge what we obey, we only truly believe what we obey. Jeremiah 32 17 says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth. By your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. God is able to do far more than you imagine, far more than you even hope for, if we'll place all our trust in him. And that leads us to the next part. Submit to God's purpose for your life. Are you willing to choose God's purpose over your own? If so, God promises you a blessing. Look what it says in the next verses there. Verse seven, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. God will renew you, restore you when you place your trust in him. And what's his purpose for your life and for my life? Well, he tells us that as well in Romans chapter eight. Verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's will for your life is to make you like Jesus. He wants you and I to reflect the character, the nature, the love, the obedience of Jesus Christ. That's his will for our life. That's his purpose for our life, to make us like him. And when we do, all his promises come true. Fourth part is that we're to seek God's, not only his purpose, but his plan for his life. God blesses those who trust in him. He says he will make your paths straight. The person who trusts God entirely, exclusively, and extensively will enjoy success in life. Maybe not material success. You may not become, you know, head of a company or have all kinds of wealth. He's not talking about that. But a success is that your life pleases God and is filled with joy. That's success. It's not about what the world would define as success, but what God defines as true success. And he gives these promises of his plan for us. These are, these are great. I want to read a few of these. Romans eight thirty one says, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's his promise to you. Do you believe it? Are you willing to put on the parachute of that promise and to jump out of the plane and live it? Jeremiah says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Do you believe it? Proverbs 16 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God is going to work his will in you, whether we cooperate or not. But there's so much joy to be found when we choose to trust in him. Jeremiah 10 23 says, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in a man who walks to direct himself, his steps. It's because that's the Lord's working in our lives. God has a plan for you, it's a good plan. Will you seek it? Now, the next one is really important as well in that especially when we're wrestling with doubts, with discouragement, that is a time when we need one another even more. God made us to rely on one another and and to need one another. And so I'm I'm gonna invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17, And I want to show you an example that comes from the Scripture where we're to lean on God's people to strengthen your faith. And and the picture here is of Moses. And Moses and the children of Israel are um, engaged in a battle with the people of Amalek. And the Scripture tells us in Exodus chapter 17 that um, during the battle, as Joshua is leading the army, Moses is up on a mountain, and as long as he holds up the staff that God had given him of of leadership, uh, representing his presence, as long as he holds it up and it's above his head, um, Israel is victorious. But when he begins to weaken, when his arms begin to, to droop down, it says that, the, um, I can't even say the word, the Amalekites, just pretend like I said it right, even though I didn't, um, they begin to prevail. Now, this is a picture not of uh, the arm strength of Moses, but it's a picture of his own faith, his own trust in the Lord. And sometimes what happens is that you and I go through seasons, especially when we're physically weary, when doubt comes in, when we're more vulnerable, And so what did did God do is he provided two men, Aaron and Hur. And and let me show you. In fact, I'm going to invite Aaron and Hur to come up here, and I'm going to show you exactly what Aaron and Hur did. You can read about it here in Exodus chapter. Here comes Aaron, also known as Alazar. And here comes Hur, also known as Reuben. Um, Everybody needs an Aaron and a Hur. Or an Alizar and a Reuben, okay? Either way. So Moses is there, and he's doing his best, you know, to, to, to hold out there. But he's tired. He's weary. He's been there all day. So what did they do? Well, the first thing they did was they got a stone. They got a, oh, they got a stone. See? See, I need help. I need help. And they got a stone so that Moses could sit down on the rock, Okay? Now, this may seem insignificant to you, but if you look at Exodus chapter 17 and you go to the first part of the verses in that chapter, it's all about a rock. It's about a rock named Jesus Christ who provided water in the wilderness. So what they were doing, what Aaron and Hur did, was they provided Moses a strengthening of his faith by placing him on a rock, reminding him that his strength came not from them, not from himself, but from the Lord. And then what they did was they grabbed a the hold of his arms. They grabbed a the hold of his arms. It was amazing because they grabbed a the hold of his arms. It was cool. I don't know how much he had to coach them, but they grabbed a the hold of his arms and they lifted him up and they held on to him so that he was able to stay faithful all through the battle. I wanted to do this as a silly illustration. Thank you both so very much, because I want you to see that's what we need. Thank you. Thank. That's exactly. He took away my stone. Um, (laughs) just Just kidding. We all need one another. We go through seasons when our faith is weak, and this is this is why, as a church, we have small groups, we have Bible studies is because we need each other and we need to get to know one another and stand together with each other. You cannot do this life on your own. You were not designed to walk by faith by yourself. We need each other. If Moses wouldn't have had Aaron and her, the story would have changed and ended very differently. God calls us to lean on one another. And and here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do. When you're going through a difficult time, don't listen to the voice of the enemy saying just tough it out, don't tell anyone. Be like Moses, a man of great faith who called upon Aaron and her and said, "Would you stand with me? I'm struggling. That's what we need to do. We need to be authentic with one another and say we need each other. I need you, I need others. I need brothers like Alazar and Reuben to hold me up. And so do you. We are to lean on God's people to strengthen our faith. You can read the, the story there in Exodus 17 verses eight through 12. And two more quick points before we close. The sixth one is simply this, give God full possession of your life. This is actually, um, goes goes back to uh, what Tom said at offering time. In Proverbs 9, we see in Proverbs 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats bursting with wine. Now, why does God ask us to give? It's not because he needs any of our stuff. He doesn't. He made it anyway. He gives you and I an opportunity to exercise faith. He gives you and I an opportunity to step out of the plane. That's all it is. So don't ever ever translate that into saying the church wants my money because we don't want your money. But we do want your obedience because I want you to experience the goodness of God. That's what it's about. Give him full possession of your life, every area. Every area. We give back to him of our resources simply as an expression that we do trust in him, that we're relying on him. And then finally, the last point I would say is this. When you're wrestling with doubts, when, they, when you feel attacked, when you're struggling with, is God real? Is God in control? Does God care? When you're wrestling with those doubts, remember what you know to be true. Go back to the, to the things that you've learned before As I said it last week, do not doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. Remember the things that you know to be true and go back to those. And God will use that to strengthen your faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Father God, would you help us to do that? Jesus, I, I love the prayer. When you asked the man, do you believe? And he, he responded, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, that's my prayer today. That's my prayer for us as a, as a people. Would you help us to trust fully in you? Lord, there's areas of our life where you're going to reveal today or during this week where our trust in you is weak. We're leaning on our own understanding. Would you give us the faith to obey you and to place that area of our life into your hands? For those who are wrestling with doubts, Lord, would you speak into their heart? Would you remind them of who you are? And Lord, would you bring alongside of them, give give them the courage to ask others to stand with them? Lord, I love how in your word, in in Jude, it says, have mercy on those who doubt. Lord, that's your heart. That should be our heart as a church. Lord, not to condemn people, but to stand with one another as we go through seasons of trial and uncertainty and doubt. Lord, make us like your Son. Help us to trust in you with all that we are, I pray. Because you've promised to make our paths both individually and as your church straight. We believe your word is true. Help us to live that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.